Hello and welcome back to Free Reeling It, a movie-watching podcast hosted by two friends. I'm one of said friends. My name is Matthew. Alongside me is my friend Jesse. Jesse, how are you? I'm alright. It's, uh, it's a late on a Sunday uh, night. Um, I'm feeling a bit of those weekend sleepies, but we have tomorrow off because it's a holiday weekend and I'm excited to not have to do anything. Hell yeah! Um... Uh, so yeah, as I said before, we watch a movie, we talk about a movie, and possibly other stuff, depending on where the conversation may take us. This time out, we are we are discussing. I'm gonna call I'm gonna call this just simply one of the best films ever made. Um, I don't really think that's hyperbole, mainly because uh, both filmmakers, critics, and I think actors even agree a lot of the film community uh, agrees that ingmar bergman's the seventh seal is uh one of the greatest films ever made watching it for for this episode uh kind of i'll I'll just spoil it kind of reaffirmed that for me but uh for different reasons than when it did when i first saw it um before we get into the movie per se let's talk about bergman just because we've never had a bergman film i don't think we've done any swedish films i don't think we have but this this is also my first bergman i think i've watched okay um but yeah so ingmar bergman is probably one of the filmmakers in history with the best batting average it's not a hundred percent for sure, because you know we all have to start somewhere, and the earlier Bergman films I've seen, like pre Smiles of a Summer Night, they're not they're not like rough, but it's like watching early Scorsese, like pre Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. Um, you definitely see uh, something. You see the beginning of a great career, uh, but this is uh, Smiles of a Summer Night is definitely where. Bergman starts to become like who he would be in terms of cinema. Uh, but I, I think the best way to sum him up is he's kind of the patron saint of art house films. You could also put that on like Fellini and Kurosawa and uh, plenty of other just cinematic figures. But I feel like if you. Uh, in 2023, if you're going to an art house cinema, all roads lead back to Bergman. Probably more so than they lead back to Fellini or Kurosawa. Um, mainly because eventually, like Kurosawa, you know, had Hollywood level budgets. Fellini did as well. Uh, I could be wrong on both of those statements because um, I am not a historian. But that's just been my impersonation or impersonation interpretation of their work. Uh, but but I think modern art house cinema is definitely like the house that Bergman built. Um, so this is your first Bergman. Uh, yes. With, without getting into it, what, without getting into it, what'd you think? Oh, I thought it was really good. I thought it was um, a really tight movie, even though it's a movie that lets you. Uh, breathe it in in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I thought um, I thought the acting was really stellar. I thought yeah. I thought the craft 
like the the hmm, I'm trying to think of the right word for it the the storytelling the the writing of it all the the character studies within it um were very sharp uh it, it's interesting because like and he wrote it and it's based on something else he wrote or is it based off another movie he did or something so the idea sort of stemmed from a one-act play that he had made uh with the malmo theater company um but no studio would buy it but then he like stretched it out and made it like more because i think it was like a one act one scene type situation uh and i think if you condense this any further than it is it kind of falls apart but he stretched it out to basically be more of a more of a story than an idea yeah that's my understanding of it and uh and event and it became a launching point for for, i think it's pretty much a launching point for him internationally uh as well as its main star max von sydow or see yeah i don't know how to say it but go ahead it it it's also like it's an interesting idea of what death is Mm-hmm. when the sense of how it's how death is kind of portrayed in the movie yeah. um, as someone who is patient and we always kind of think of or at least I always kind of think of death as somebody who sweeps in who what, what comes in and just steals when this death is like no I, I will wait I will wait for you to, I will wait I'll wait here and play chess I'll play a game of chess and mm-hmm. um and when it when it happens, it will happen, type of thing. Yeah. So, all right. Well, um, so this was not my first Bergman. Uh, mm-hmm. My first my first Bergman is uh, was the only film that he worked with Ingrid Bergman on. <laughs> uh, it's called Autumn Sonata, and uh, I I think we should probably. I mean, the ideal of trying to visit every film is a nice one, but. I would I would like to try I would like to see what you think of that film eventually, um, but that was my first Bergman and immediately I sort of knew that I was not looking at uh, I was not looking at film the same way anymore. It wasn't just it was I think there was a there was a moment when I saw it and I'm like okay so I've been sort of just watching stories now I'm actively like interacting with it and thinking about things that happen. And I think that's just because Bergman, the way he writes and directs, it makes it really easy to do that. Uh, and a lot of his scenes are paced in a way that it kind there's kind of an ebb and flow for the viewer to have to insert their own thoughts into the scene and and react to that. Um, yeah, I I, I think um, to your your sense of. We can't revisit everything. I mean, as far as I know, we haven't started playing our game of chess yet. So I think we got, I think we got time to revisit I mean, everything we want. But see, but see, you know, you know, death is alongside us for a long time. We're just making references to the movie now, so we should start talking about the movie. Yeah, where do, where do we um, want to start with? So, so we are watching the Seventh Seal, um, and it begins. It begins with uh, the the knight Antonius Block, played by Max von Sydow, 
and his squire, played magnificently by Gunnar Bjornstand, uh, Bjornstrand, the squire's name is Jans. They wake up on the beach, and uh, what I <laughs> and that's kind of a fascinating scene because we don't really know how they got there. Like, did they just wash up on shore, or they're just sleeping on the beach? But they are they are essentially returning from the Crusades, and uh, Antonius is kind of already half awake, and Jans is uh, still kind of sleeping on his sleeping on his chest with a knife in his hand because you know clearly these are these two have been in some conflict coming back from the Crusades, and immediately we are we are we are graced with the presence of uh i don't remember who played death but he shows up and goes i'm death and they decide they're going to play chess and this is a i don't really know how to say this other than it's a real like for being as quiet and muted as the setup is the audacity of it just to actually just put it all right front and center like sure it's it might be metaphor but at the same time they're speaking very plainly yeah like, it's, it's... like yeah i'm death we're gonna play chess it's your time but i've been with you for a long time uh okay but if we're gonna play chess you're gonna keep i i get to stay alive till we finish the game and if i win i'm free if i lose i die like yeah it's one of those things where the the main plot of the movie is plainly stated it's it's very like this is it like this is how it goes type of thing mm -hmm. but it's the it's the real meaning of the movie i feel like that's hidden in the shadows sure and it's the idea of when you come to the end of your life how does faith like what 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 part does faith play in that yes and that that we get through, I that we get through uh, both um, Antonius Block's dialogue throughout the movie, throughout the movie, as well as um, Yawns. I think I think there are two. Um, I I think the easy way is to say that there are two conflicting points of view, but at the same time, I think there it's two people coming. From I think the points of view are two points of view from like different um, levels of experience, rather than being opposed. Yeah, and you know we can't really go much further without talking about the image of Max von Sydow and um, the actor who played Death is Banked Eckerot, uh sitting at the chessboard with the ocean behind them. It's it's a scene that's been parodied ad nauseum since 1957 when this film came out. Uh, and it, it's still one of just the absolute coolest images in cinema, I think. Uh, I like how Max von Sydow's character, Antonius Block, is like enveloped in shadow, but you get him backlit and death seems completely frontlit. Mm-hmm. But he's wearing black, except for his face. And also, when I first saw this movie, I swore that the man who played Death 
and the guy who played Emperor Palpatine in Star Wars were the same dude. <laughs> I don't think I they, see that, yeah. they, no, they, they they aren't, but like they're definitely can, not. But but like it looks like George Lucas said, I want the Emperor Palpatine to look like this guy under a hood. Um, and honestly, that might very much be the case with Lucas, and it makes sense because like Palpatine himself for that franchise is kind of the embodiment of death and destruction. Yeah, for sure. Um, so they start playing their game and then you just get intermittent pauses because, uh, time still sort of marches forward. And then we meet, I forget their name. Oh, we meet Yoff, Mia, and Mikhail, as well as Scott. I think that's how you say his name. They are traveling. There's there's, there's Joe. You call him Jones. Jones Scott. Oh, is that is that his first name? That's what's, that's what's on here as undercast. <laughs> okay. Oh, Joe. Oh, Jonas Scott. Okay. Or call him Jones. That's how yeah. you pronounce it in America. I mean, I'm, I'm, try, I'm trying. I I mean, if you want, if you want it, that, you do you. I'm gonna try and be as respectful as I can. I'm, I'm, kid, I'm, I'm kidding. I, I mean, not know. That the, not that the Swedes really deserve our respect. I'm just no. Um, I'm just digging a hole. Yeah, you might want to work on digging up. Uh, there's also Lisa. I don't know if Lisa's here yet. The, the yeah, no, character. Lisa. Lisa's not here yet. We meet her in a little bit. Um, we meet her in a funny as hell scene. Uh, I forgot how funny this movie is. This movie is this. I found myself laughing at this movie a whole lot, uh, more than I expected to. I think it's because you you remember the, the the real heavy themes that that come out of it more than mm-hmm. the comedy. But we meet. Uh, we meet. Yoff, who's played by Nils Pop, and uh, Mia, who's played by the wonderful B.B. Anderson, their son, Mikhail, or Mikhail, and then they are they are basically a, an acting trio, and it's led by the director, Jonas Scott, uh, who is... He has an interesting sort of intro. He walks out wearing, like, a skull mask and goes... You think the women will find me sexy in this thing? It's just like, wow. So we've gotten, let's play chess with death. And hey, why do I have no bitches? Um, (laughs) Why won't anyone pay attention to me? Yeah. Um, And the interesting, we, we get interesting ideas in their, in their sort of introductions as well, because we see, uh, Yoff wake up in the morning, get himself ready for the day, and he sees a vision of Mary and baby Jesus sort of off walking around having a nice little time, and he's re- and it makes him really happy. And I think we get the I think we kind of start to get another idea of faith mm-hmm. as well, because already. Antonius Block's character has started asking questions of death about God and things like that. And uh, meanwhile, it's like he he's like sort of the, the the pious center of this movie. And we've already gotten Yawns, who is a little he's more cynical, but like not necessarily dismissive. Despite some of his dialogue, he he talks a good game, but you see moments of like pure. Uh, worry about the afterlife from him but then you get Yoff who has who could be construed to have the gift of vision yeah and I think you start playing with 
that with that idea and all of a sudden it's like he has a gift but he doesn't know what it means because no one's really explained it to him or uh he or he was given something and didn't really know what to do with it so he just sort of exists with it and i think i think that's a i think that's a nice little idea that cut that just comes into a really bouillabaisse of religious discussion or discussion on faith and things like that and then for lack of a better word the film sort of takes off in a lot it goes a lot of directions really really fast we move to we move we move to a town where the acting troupe is performing and uh Jonas gets a tomato in the face because really these these performers are not that great let's be honest I, I, mean, I like I like their work. I yeah. Uh, what, like, do I, I, what do I? What like, do I know? Twenty twenty right. first century. I'm I'm sitting here looking at this, going, okay. I respect everything that's happening here, but like, I if I were if if this were real and I were in that audience, I'd probably throw a tomato at Jonas too. Um, but then we meet we meet Lisa during the performance because she is clearly just eyeing Jonas up. And uh, her husband, who we will meet soon, his name is Plogue. He's a blacksmith. And he's oddly lovable in the movie. Oddly. Uh, why, why would you say oddly for yourself? Mm, I th- there are aspects of, of Plogue that I kind of see in a younger version of myself. Like, I think there's... I, I think in my late teens and early twenties, I had more in common with Plogue, maybe not necessarily the violent temper, mm-hmm. uh, or the, or if so, I was never the, if someone looked at a person I was with, I wouldn't necessarily be like, I demand respect or anything like that. But I was also kind of a, I think I was more perceived as like a, 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 a big sad brute in mm-hmm. my twenties. And that's ultimately what he is. Once you get to the once you once you get to the end of the film, you realize, oh, he's just a he's just a he's just a hapless sad boy, um, who is hilariously manipulated by by Jans <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, oh, actually, you know what? I've skipped something. We've we've we meet uh, Raval in a village, an, uh, an abandoned village. Who he is? Uh, he's pillaging the dead and Jans confronts him and says it was you all those years ago that convinced my master to take up the crusade Mm -hmm. and it's your fault that we've been gone for this long and if I see you again you won't you won't be happy to see me now he also stops uh revolve from uh, raping a woman and we don't learn that woman's name. She is just credited as Mute Girl. And it's uh, she's played by Guna Lindblom, who has abs- an absolutely perfect face for film, especially black and white photography. When, they, when the close-ups the Bergman uses on her are stunning. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Jan, said, Jan says, I could easily do this to you too, but I'm... I'm done. <laughs> I'm tired of that kind of love, which is mm, that's kind of a problem, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I would say it is. Yeah, it's just like mm, I don't know how that lands, but at least he at, le- at least at least he knows he could and won't, 
so clearly there's there's been some growth in Jans's life at this point. But also, I wonder what Jans has done up to this point. Yeah, it's it's uh, that whole it's this section and the kind of the section with the quote unquote witch. Um, yeah, that I think are really interesting when it comes to the hidden plot of the movie at times mm-hmm. where yawns and then and also ravel are these men who are supposed to be coming from these mighty positions of mm-hmm. faith and power right yeah and from the outside looking in right if you were just a passerby of these people and you knew that ravel was a theologian and yawns is a crusader right mm-hmm. you would like as a normal person you'd be like ah oh, these are holy men right or these are these are upstanding citizens, per se. Yeah, but especially like the holiest of men, they follow the sure. commandments, they follow the, the the teachings, the faith, right? Yeah. And then we see them both take advantage of a mute girl, mm-hmm. not even like a regular girl, like even like a disabled, helpless, even more than most needy of anybody. Yeah. And the movie still presents it kind of as. Well, this these this is how it, it goes. And I think that's the struggle Bergman's having at the time with faith in general. Is like he's seeing probably things like this, mm-hmm. seeing people who have these powers and these these beliefs, but then act opposite in the way that he's seeing Jans and Ravel do, and um, and is struggling with that. Yeah, I mean, well, there's a whole. I'm not going to get into the, the the story of Bergman as a person because mm-hmm. th- that's pretty that's pretty well traveled territory, and I would recommend that like anybody who ventures into his work eventually look into that because it's kind of a fascinating story. But you know, clearly, I, w- I will say this for for brevity's sake: Bergman puts himself. In his movies, not like the way Hitchcock does or Scorsese does, or or definitely not like Woody Allen, but he puts like these are these are the conflicts in these movies are generally things that are conflicts within. Um, And it's and I would posit that few artists in general present their own inner arguments in a medium of choice better than he does. Mm-hmm. Um, if any, not going to say that no one has or, or, or no one could, because I've not seen every piece of art ever, but man, he's, he's up there with just putting his own ideas and, and just his own inner sort of arguments on film or in a medium of art. Uh, so we get to the performance and we meet Lisa who is eyeing up Jonas and Jonas gets hit by a tomato and decides to go clean himself off. And when he's in the back of their little stagecoach cleaning himself off, he notices Lisa has shown up in the meadow just behind, just behind the stage. And what does she do to tempt Jonas? She just bends over and, I don't know why I I like I gross laugh at that scene every time I see it because I'm like wow this is just this is this is like it's like something out of Looney Tunes. I'm pretty sure like anytime Bugs Bunny put on a dress like that's essentially what he's doing <laughs> to try and 
you know, tempt Elmer Fudd or Yosemite Sam or probably even Daffy Duck at this point. But I also think at the same time, like, and especially with Looney Tunes, it's the same with the tropes. It's like, that's very thespian of, like, the ebb actors, right? Like, to play the opposite gender. and like, Oh, sure. Try to pull off. And I think, I know for Looney Tunes, it's usually a gag, but I think some, me personally, always sees Bugs Bunny as, like, he's just acting. He's just, yeah. He's just, he's just... He's just pulling, pulling a play on everybody. Sure, uh, yeah, and and that's the that's the gag. But like this is just like wow, she's just out there saying, "Hey, come and get me." And then they go, Jonas and Lisa go off and do their thing. Um, and then the performance where Yoff and Mia are singing is interrupted with it. Everybody stops because they hear the 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 thundering choral music mm-hmm. and all you see are are they were sort of detached from the performance happening like they were just sort of around while it was going on but now all of a sudden everyone is all the faces you see on screen are kind of terrified because a procession of flagellants has come in and they are sort of abusing themselves for the lord I don't really know how to go into flagellation because I don't know much about it myself. Uh, but I think it's, it's kind of like, I think it stems from the Spanish inquisition, doesn't it? Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know my religious history, um, that well to be able to tell you that. Sure. But like, it seems like the way that, um, the way that Spanish inquisition sort of, you know, abused people to confess, uh, these are people that are doing that to themselves. And they are led by a preacher who basically stops the flagellation to just yell at everybody who's in the audience and just say, "Yeah, you're you're all you're all doomed. Yeah. You're all going to die." And then he just starts pointing out <laughs> features of people like, "Hey, you with the chubby nose," and then he uh, calls. He basically accuses a pregnant woman of being prostitute <laughs> and uh it's it's very it, it's it's such a stark shift in tone and i think this is i don't remember if this is before or after we see the witch but that also happens where antonius is asking the witch about god or, or he's asking is asking the witch about the devil because he wants to ask the devil about god because if the devil doesn't know about god who does yeah, and, but but my that's also like a, my favorite thing is that goes wrong and like it doesn't work and it's it's goes back to the idea of challenging your faith. Mm-hmm. But the whole point of faith is that you like it's it's a it's a, an invisible it's it's the invisible pathway in, in Last Crusade, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's the thing that you just have to walk on and the faith of it is you can't get those answers, but he keeps challenging it. And like it's throughout the movie in every different way. I think one of my, I don't know if we, um, my brain is sometimes slow to remember if we mentioned it already, but there's the scene really early on in the church, um, where he's talking to the statue. He's talking to the priest or the Uh, painter, the painter and the painter's death. Right. 
Oh no, that's the that's he's going to confess. Yeah, he's going to confess. That's right. He's he's going to confession. The priest is death. Yeah, the priest in there is death. And and like, like, if we if uh, you mention it, I I might my brain might have not latched on. I I didn't mention it because I'm kind of going from memory, so it's fine. Yeah. So when he when he in the beginning when he goes there to like confess about his his questioning of his faith, right? Like Mm -hmm. the person on the other side is death because like that's where like that is when. The, the most holiest of men, like, I think, question the hardest is right when death is approaching, right? Right when yeah. death is breathing down your neck. And mm-hmm. so, of course, like, as he knows he's facing death, he, he questions harder, and the only person to answer is death. Yeah. Like, that's the only way he's going to know the truth. Mm-hmm. Well, and then, he, and then uh, a scene that I really like that's right around the same time is uh, Jan's talking to the painter. Um... And the painter is, uh, I think they say his name. It, it he's uh, what's, what, I'm looking at the Wikipedia for the name. Sorry, apologies. You're good. Um, it's like the last name is Pictor, but I want to say it's Albertus Pictor. Um, and the uh, he did paint a picture of a man playing chess with death, and that's where the idea for this comes from um and then Jans is talking to Pictor in the movie and he's they're sort of like Jans is saying why did you paint this he's like well because they paid me to and yeah but you don't have you could paint something nice yeah but I have to remind people that they're going to die um and and he's like yeah but that'll just make them afraid and then you, and, he's, and he's like, yeah, because that's part of it. And he's like, and then they run to your priests. Yeah, and it's basically, he's sort of saying, oh, you're just trying to sell the idea of of hell and fear so people will come to church. It, he's basically saying it's all marketing, which is, yeah, it's a, <laughs> which is fucking wild. It's all, about, it's all about that product placement, right? Yeah, exactly. And he's like, well, in, in, and... And eventually, Pictor's like, "Well, a job's a job. What can I do?" Um, and then Jans is talking, like, "Yeah, we were on the. I'm I'm coming back from the Crusades, and let me tell you, the Crusade was so stupid. Only an idealist could have thought it up. And wow, what a fucking lie! <laughs> like, oh, that's so good. And this is still so early in Bergman's career, and he's dropping knowledge bombs like that." Like that, like th- this, in- this entire film, and like it's. I know we were talking, we've we've talked about our favorite films ever, mm-hmm. and like it's thing, it's scenes like this that sort of just exhibit just cinema as a- an art form so well. Um, from the dialogue, the way it's shot, the way he uses black and white photography. I mean, the opening scene with Block and Death playing tech playing chess i almost said tennis for some reason uh i must be tired <laughs> I, I think we're both a little, a little sleepy in this one but i yeah. think that's okay Th- that's okay that's okay i've we can we can do this i believe in us um and the fact that over the course of just over 90 minutes you get an absolute textbook worth of ideas and thoughts and discussion points and all of them can be pretty heavy. Yeah. But 
I feel like they're heavy enough that you could actually think that this movie is like four hours long. Does that make sense? No, it does. It does to me. Like it's, it's, it's pretty nuts. I've been, I've been on a crusade of sorts to just. Watch. I see what you did there. Cool, cool. <laughs> I've been. Uh, I didn't even actually didn't mean to do that. It just kind of came <laughs> out. Um, but I've been on like a, a path to finish filmographies recently like just when i'm in like in the mood if it's possible i want to finish a filmography of people mm-hmm. it's really interesting to watch a filmmaker kind of go from an uh, like a tight hour 45 movie and then as they get more and more like relevance and um respect and uh being like more renowned the movies slowly creep up mm-hmm. to an hour 45 hour 50 mm-hmm. two hours 215 now we're at 245 <laughs> like yeah. like it, it's very interesting how um some uh some uh, some uh, some directors just kind of feed into that it's not a bad thing usually not usually they do have more to say in those movies sure but it's very interesting when the you watch any early movies and this isn't like a super early Bergman but this is like the Bergman movie that kind of starts that for him, right? Yeah, yeah, 100%. And he gets all of these ideas and thoughts and even some answers in some ways packed into an hour and a half. Yeah. And, yeah. It's, and if, like, um, who would you say, like, a modern equivalent would be? Oh, Bergman? Point? Yeah. Gee, I really don't know. Like someone who puts like this kind of thought into their into their filmmaking. Though. Like I mean, uh, I don't want to say I don't want to say it, but like I know eighty percent of like Woody Allen's career is just riffing on Bergman. Um, but I don't think I don't think he does it. I think he I think he rips the ideas, but not the execution. Yeah, I guess that's fair. Um. I mean, I think Scorsese puts a lot of this, puts, like, this level of thought into his movies. Spielberg doesn't all the time, but when he does... Um, but, like, I, you had a great point, though. Like, we, a movie that we've covered in on this show, like, Silence, right? Silence mm-hmm. is a movie that is questioning the same stuff. Yeah. And it's going for the same kind of answers and the same kind of discussions on things. And it's almost twice as long. Yeah. Not that it's a bad thing that it's almost twice as long. No. But Bergman's able to do the same thing in an hour, hour and a half. And that's so extremely impressive. <clears throat> yeah. And, and he does it just abs. He does it with like a bold blatantness. Yeah, he's very he's a blunt instrument, but he's getting the job yeah. done without having any rework needed to be done after the fact. Right. It's just like, yeah, no, let's let let's just ha- let's let's put it all here, say what it is. I'm afraid of dying, so I'm going to play chess with death and talk about it. Like, mm. um so getting back to getting back to the to the plot, and I'm going to yes. I think I'm think I'm going to kind of skip along here because I could probably go forever in the confessional, you know, death reveals himself to playing a little trick on Antonius block. Mm-hmm. And the next time they play chess, uh, Antonius block does this little, or well, death goes, I'm going to take your queen. And he's like, I knew you'd do that. 
and then you get you sort of get the idea like oh Antonius could have been could have known and just been messing with him yeah with a couple of the things that he said in the confession and then death kind of starts to really exhibit his presence all over the movie uh, in terms of uh, banked Eckerat might not be on screen but after that point you're always thinking about him. Uh, I don't. It, he's not like. Um, it, he's almost. It's almost like, you know, he's coming. Like you know, Mike Myers is coming. Yeah. Like he's just. Doesn't matter how fast you run. He's walking the same speed, every time, and he doesn't. He he never stops, without being you know, a slasher movie villain. Um. <clears throat> and then. After the flagellants uh, move on, we see the witch at the execution grounds and Antonius and Jans are having an interesting discussion about her, about whether or not she's going to be saved or, or what she sees as she is being burned. Yeah. And Jans is like, look, She's just had a realization. There's nothing but fear in, in those eyes now. And Antonius is like, it, it, there has to be something. There has to be something. There, there has to, she has to see something out there. Otherwise, what am I even doing here? And I think at this point, he's questioning, like, what even were the Crusades at this point uh, in his head? Like, we don't, we don't get that dialogue where I think a lot of modern filmmakers would make a point to have that inner discussion sort of put on screen somehow, which would probably increase the length of the film, like we were talking about with The Silence, even though this and The Silence are not the same movie. Um, same questions, but not the same movie. And you get plenty of space to think about to think about that stuff here as you see the the crew we've assembled sort of travel into night after the after the execution yeah um and one one scene i really like in this is and i think it was just before uh the execution scene it's it's actually just after their performance um where Yolf has been sort of abused by the townsfolk because Plogue knows that his wife ran off with an actor. Mm -hmm. And so he, he approaches, he's like, Hey, you're an actor in the bar. And all of a sudden poor Yolf is just, he looks around and you don't see a single friend anywhere. And he knows he, he knows he's in some serious trouble for absolutely doing nothing. And Raval is the one sort of instigating everything because he's kind of a, a dick. Um, but after that, when they are at the stagecoach and Antonius and Mia and Mikhail are just enjoying a nice day, uh, and Antonius sort of gets pretty Shakespearean in his head mm -hmm. about this moment, like, and Watching it this time, I thought not about the the last movie we discussed, but 
the movie I'd watched like alongside it. I thought about uh, Vernon, Florida. In the very the very end of that, you see an older an older gentleman talking about how people say, "Oh, this just happened," or "This just happened," or "This just happened." Why don't we call this just happened something else? Why don't we call that God? Mm-hmm. And while that's an that's that's just an interesting like sort of statement on its own, I think it's there's a there's a point here where um, Antonius like walks right up to the point of life and refuses to acknowledge it because maybe because like maybe his exhibit of uh, or his exhibit of proof of faith is in that moment rather than being able to see the face of the faceless or touch the hand the invisible the invisible hand of your deity of choice you know yeah i i, I agree with you on that like it's a, it's just kind of like hey it's right there maybe maybe you you sort of i mean and i think he, i think already as a character he sort of realized oh i can hold on to this moment because it's a very it's a very good thing but like maybe that's one of the benefits of faith like maybe that is or or you know or it could be we're all just molecules we're all just dust in the wind out here but he's not that cynical he's looking for answers and maybe the answers are right in front of him and he just refuses to acknowledge them because they're not the answers he wants or it's not the answers aren't being delivered in a way that he wants to hear and uh i i i love how just about every scene in this movie gets me thinking like that um i feel like i've talked a lot you say some stuff jesse (laughs) no i i i I think you 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 You've always been so passionate about this movie. That's one of the reasons I brought it to be like something I wanted us to watch. That's so I'm like I want I want to let I want to let Matthew off the chain. <laughs> type I mean, of thing. all right. So so that's why I'm like totally letting you kind of go hog wild on this. Yeah. But um for for I, this for this not being one of my favorite films, like I have a ton of shit to say. <laughs> it's weird. I I think the only other thing that that I could think of is the dance of death at the end mm-hmm. and like what that represents to me at least okay and it's it's kind of a do- double-edged sword right like the dance sure. of death it's it's a it's it's a reference of the uh I'm gonna pronounce it dance dance macabre I can't pronounce things today that's okay um and like uh, I'm gonna just read from the Wikipedia page. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just of dead or personification of death, summoning re- representatives from all walks of life to dance along the grave. Typically, with a pope, emperor, king, child, and laborer, the effect is both fervorous and terrifying, beseeching the audience to react emotionally. It's produced as a memento mori to remind those of the fragility of their lives and how vain the glories of early life. Its origins are blah blah blah. It goes into like the origins of it, but it's sure. the idea of like how fragile is death but at the same time i think it's it's to show for me especially in the movie is like how we can celebrate death and celebrate Mm -hmm. passing and how with faith for a lot of people death is is a celebration um 
I've been to a lot of funerals, uh, especially religious ones, uh, because mm-hmm. my dad, my, I mean, I, th- I probably mentioned before, but my father's a pastor. Um, yes. and when I was a kid, he would, he would take me when, when he had to do funerals, not, so I've been to a lot of funerals that weren't for family. Sure. I've been to just a lot of funerals. <clears throat> um, cause I was just, someone had to watch the boy, <laughs> yeah. uh, and my mom would take the girls or something and I would just go with dad to work. So sure. I've been to just a few, I've just been to funerals. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen funerals of, uh, people who believed in funerals of people who didn't. And he would, he, he very distinctly would preach two different ways at those funerals. For the ones who believed, he would preach it as a celebration. And for those who don't, he would preach it as a warning. And, I um, I think that's what the dance is really there for, right? It's like where you are in your faith is how you're going to accept it. And I think that's the same way at the end of this, right? Like where you're at in your belief of the afterlife or lack thereof or anything like that, it either reads as terrifying to you mm-hmm. that these people are being dragged away or it looks like a celebration of what comes next, right? Yes. And that's just how I, how I landed on it at the end. Sure. So I, I think that's probably been my consistent landing on the end as well without, you know, your personal experience because I'm not you. Um, but I've always sort of looked at it as like, you get the, you get like the, you get like the unclear image of them walking along. I mean, I'll say that I'll say the horizon, but it's definitely, it's probably a mountain a mountain like you see them and then you see the sky in the background and you see their shadows Mm -hmm. and they're they are a long ways away and you get all of that in in nils pops like little monologue about it towards the end like he sees them he's like oh i see i see all of them i see the night i see the angel i see death i see lisa i see plogue Mm-hmm. I see. I, I don't remember if he mentions Raval. I think he might have, but he, and they're walking along, and Death is a strict leader, making them making them dance, and you know, and it's undercut in a way that like the a lot of the more pious sections of this movie have been undercut. Instead, this time it's not Yon's undercutting him. It's it's his wife Mia who goes you and your visions and but i also think that like despite that being kind of an undercut there's there's like a there's like a there's an undertone of acceptance with that too because she doesn't she doesn't dismiss his visions she just she accepts them and i think i think that's sort of a a special thing to point out too Mm -hmm. um one thing i one thing that always strikes me every time i watch this movie is the scene where you they get to Block's castle and they're eating. Death shows up and they're all like, they're all, everybody's afraid. They all want to kneel or bow or whatever. And Death is like, yeah, I don't care. We're, you're all coming with me. And then you just get, you get the, you get the only line from the mute girl. Mm-hmm. And, she, and she just says, it is finished. And the look on Gunnel Lindblom's face this this is going to be hyper, hyperbolic and I don't give a shit. That is the only time I've ever seen a human face resemble the Mona Lisa. Yeah. Like it's not like you can't tell if it's fear or rapture. And the and the the spectrum 
in that one moment is just wild to me and it i've seen this movie maybe i don't i've i don't think i've seen it more than five times the images that are just so well known from it like that is right there with block and death playing tennis or tennis chess at the beginning why do i keep saying tennis um <laughs> i mean we could just really we could really watch we should watch a tennis movie <laughs> no <laughs> well we will someday uh but because i feel like i feel like there's there's gonna be one of those um but yeah this movie this movie fucking whips <laughs> it's yeah, so good so. um i do want to i do want to get into just some discussion what did you think about like the arcs of interpret the, the arcs of interpretation from like block and yawn like did you did that did did that sort did that sort of like those two lines in the plot sort of go anywhere for you or no mm, i don't remember them really pulling at me when i was watching it okay it's it's to the point that like they like it did not leave any lasting impact on me okay um the arc of yawns like the overall like arc of him more than the arc of block is probably is is a little bit more in in me Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, 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 neither one of the, I was more interested in the, um, by the end of the movie, I was more interested in, um, in the, I'm sorry, I'm trying to remember things of people's names as I'm looking at the character list. Okay. Um, uh, Yoff. Yeah. Yeah, I was more interested in Yoff and his wife in their mm-hmm. escape. Like, and by the end, I was like, I was more invested in them. Okay, because the the one thing that sticks that stick that always sticks out with this is the the compare and contrast between Yons and Block, because Block seems to uh, he seems to be just the person who has like I think in in he's the person who went to college. Mm-hmm. And has a master's degree and assumes that that knowledge he has is the end all, and has ex- has they've gotten out of college ready to ready to you know go into the world with their optimism and ideals, and they ha- immediately have that challenge in a way that they're like, wait a minute, has, is everything that I've learned wrong? It, that can't be right. That it has to. I I learned it this way. Um. Whereas Yawns is, he's like, he's he's street level. He's mm-hmm. not, he's not, he's not stupid, but he's experienced. He's, uh, he's, instead of, he, and he, instead of being, you know, the matriculated, well-read, well-learned scholar, he's like, yeah, no, I've seen all this stuff, all the stories all the things that men do to one another and i'm pretty sure it's all sort of true to some degree but it doesn't stop the march of time or whatever Mm -hmm. and 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 i think the the times where they sort of and they don't really have out and out conflicts about it like there are little mentions like oh you laugh at me oh you don't you're you're a cynic about faith like especially in the when they're with the painter 
and Jans like sketches up sketches up his own self portrait and says, "This is Jans, <laughs> neither uh, uh, not worthy of heaven and completely ignored by hell or whatever, or not interested, not interesting to hell or whatever." And I think he, he's uh, sort of the maybe instead of being, you know hell and heaven maybe there just is and isn't mm-hmm. and that sort of and the diet the the dynamic between those two without ever really either one getting the upper hand they become like well i i say i want to say like well constructed arguments for their sides but also like it's just a good discussion between the characters rather than an argument for one side versus the other. Um, and I do like that. I think that that sort of punctuates uh, death's role in the entire thing. Because you get you get great lines of dialogue. I am unknowing. I am. I have no secrets. But no one or no thing escapes me. Yeah. I'm just. I, I am just. I am. I do my job. <laughs> and, then, and that's it. And I think that I think that those ideas are are pillars of this particular film that sort of hold it up and keep it relatively timeless, despite so much of it that looks dated. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I this movie absolutely rules, and I if, think it whips. Yeah, <laughs> as like, the kids I, say, like it's it's one of those things. Like I. I'm glad we did this and I didn't I did not realize that I had pushed this on you as much as I have. I apologize if that was I mean, a problem. I mean, you didn't really push it on me. It's just okay. in my brain. Um but but yeah, like I'm glad that I'm glad that this was your first Bergman. Um I think it would have been a better first Bergman for me, but I watched Autumn Sonata instead. Uh I don't really think that's a bad thing. This was not my second Bergman either. I think my second Bergman was Fanny and Alexander, which you want to talk about directors getting long? That's a six uh, hour. That's a six hour miniseries as well as like a three and a half hour movie. And everything so, I hear is the miniseries is better than the movie, even though the movie's very good. Oh, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. The mini when he got when when Ingmar Bergman started getting money to make movies and he started making miniseries, like what he did with those time with with that time was absolutely equivalent to what he did with film um especially like especially his out and out bangers um he didn't he doesn't i don't think despite fanny and alexander being a super long miniseries not a whole lot of wasted space like it's not i mean i i don't think there's a way you can call a six hour piece of art tight yeah but it's not like there are just long stretches of drabness either and just like here, he he does like a yin and yang of heavy and light, you know, happy, sad, you know, safe, scary. <clears throat> um, and the fact that all of these individuals just keep working with him and they never really they never really seem to play the same character every time. It's wild. 
like his filmography like i i would love to see how you go through his filmography and react to a lot of it i haven't seen everything i don't i'm a long ways off from seeing everything but i've seen a good amount and uh i envy you because you get to do some of it for the first time Uh, yeah i mean i'm excited that that this has now opened a door that i think will be hard to close for me Mm -hmm. yeah yeah uh scandinavian film is a good time (laughs) despite being despite being as heavy as it often gets um yeah i'm glad you liked this i'm i'm really i'm really happy you like this what do we want to do next jesse so i think we talked about uh since this will be our 49th episode Mm -hmm. um that our next episode we will go back and revisit our top 10 that we did um way early on in the series our first episode yeah and kind of re-examine what our current top ten is and what we thought about our old top ten. Um, and I had a list. I, I, lo- I was looking up my list, before, my list before we started that, like, I also had a list of directors I wanted to get into. So I think that'll be interesting to go back and tell you what directors I wanted to get into and, and then we can kind of see how much I've gotten into them <laughs> since we started this podcast. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. Cool. Um. So yeah, before we uh, before we wrap up, Matthew, uh, do you want to shout out that you've been watching or listening to or something? I know um, we, we talked about it, the writer strike and the actor strike is still going on. Yeah, we're so not, we won't be yeah. talking about anything recently. No. But if there's anything older that you want to shout out, please do. Uh, I got an old one for you. I watched a bunch of Buster Keaton before it left the Criterion Channel. Heck yeah! I watched uh, the Three Ages, which I hadn't seen in well over a decade three ages has some great gags in it yes yeah yeah uh, i watched three ages which i which is, is is really good um and trying to explain to my co-workers because like i work in a hospital and all of my co-workers are in their mid-20s and not i i say not interested in, in film i'm i know they like movies and they talk about movies uh, but like as like a casual passing thing. But when I said when I, I told them I, I we got done early, but I still have to stay till seven. So I'll throw on a movie and uh, mm-hmm. I told them like, oh, I watched a movie last night. So I was I was fine. And they're like, oh, what'd you watch? I'm like, it's a movie called The Three Ages. I'm like, oh, what's it about? I'm like, it's a silent film from 100 years ago. <laughs> and they're like, oh, why'd you watch that? <laughs> I'm like, because I'm a, I'm a nerd. Like, I'm, I'm, because I'm, I'm just weird like that. I'm just a nerd. Like, let's, let's, I'm just a nerd. Let's leave it at that. And and they're like, oh, well, so are you just sitting there in silence? I go, no, there's there's music that plays along with it, but you just don't hear them talking. Uh, you see title cards or things like that. But uh, Three Ages is really funny. I also watched Neighbors, which is a really interesting one. I tried to get through a bunch of his shorts because I hadn't seen a lot of them in a very long time. Um trying to think what else i watched i did watch some harold lloyd too but i don't remember what they watched because i did not write them down um yeah criterion criterion has me eating old films good did you did you watch sherlock jr oh yeah i've seen sherlock jr a bunch of times sherlock jr is great it's sherlock jr is pound for pound i think the film of Buster Keaton's that makes me laugh the most. Yeah, I think Sherlock Jr. is probably the funniest one that I've seen. 
Like, I think that he has several movies that are probably better films, but the gags in Sherlock Jr. are wonderful. I think the premise of uh, One Week is very funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and, it is. And the same of Our hosp- Hospitality, I think, is also very funny. Yeah. Um, I did what not about- like College when I watched it. Yeah, no, College isn't good. I, I've, I've watched College once, I think, because I, I have a somewhere... In my house, I have a Buster Keaton box set that Kino put out, like, years ago. Um, and I watched all of it then, and I think college was the one I liked the least. I did not, did not care for that at all. Um, <clears throat> what have you been watching? Well, I, I, I've been watching stuff, some stuff that's just a bit too new that I feel comfortable talking about. Sure. But I did catch a screening of Roman Holiday in theaters. Oh, there you and go. And that was a good time. Roman Holiday is a very fun movie. It's a very fun romantic comedy that doesn't play by the rule book that we know today in a lot of ways. Isn't that Cary Grant and Audrey Hepburn? You got it. Yeah. Actually, no, sorry. Uh, it's not Cary Grant. I, I think I did the same thing with Cary Grant. It's uh, Gregory Peck. To be fair, though. Oh, like yes. Gregory, no, you're 100%. 100%. I feel like I, 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 like I did the same thing. I'm pretty sure Cary Grant and Gregory Peck are the same man, honestly. Uh, they, they could be, except Cary Grant, you know, dropped acid. And I don't think Gregory Peck ever did, but, you know. No, but he wore, he wore ill-fitting suits better than anybody i ever seen. Yes. Yes. Uh, Audrey Hepburn, though, what a treasure. Yeah. Man. I love So you liked Roman Holiday, then? Yeah, I've, I've seen it before, but I, I it was just it was a uh, it was a really good time seeing it in theaters, and I seen it with friends in theaters. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I was I was pretty I was pretty jazzed about it. Cool, man. Uh, Matthew, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me. I'm still on Twitter. I'm not calling it its actual name. Um, uh, its it, actual it, name is Twitter. So it will always be Twitter to me. <laughs> um. Uh, well, you, you you know how you know how this goes. Uh, I'm st- infinite underscore rewind there. I'm also on cohost cohost.org slash infinite dash rewind, and I'm also on Blue Sky, infinite dash rewind, as well there. Um, this time, th- th- the past couple weeks, I've been doing more Blue Sky posting than anything. Nothing really relevant, but hey, if you ever want to chit chat, hit me up. Yeah, um, you can find me at Sleeper of the Bed basically everywhere. I'm on basically everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find this show on on Twitter still at Free Reeling It. Uh, you can find it on Tumblr currently, even though I've barely started posting there. Um, just Free Reeling It, I think, is where you can find it at Tumblr. I don't know how Tumblr's ads work. Um, Same. Matt- I need to figure that out. But I do want to say, I do want to say, I am proud of you because you said a thing at the end of last episode. You said before this episode publishes, I will start a Tumblr, and you did it before the episode published. Yeah, I did. So, so I am proud of you. You did a great job. Um. So Matthew, last thing before we wrap up, who does our theme song? My buddy Jason, he goes by Deadeye, D-E-A-D-I, all caps when you spell the man's name. You can find him on Spotify, on SoundCloud, on Band. Um, his album, Bloodshed Kingdom, came out uh, the year we started this show, and it's very good. 
I like it a lot. It's instrumental reggae. He was also part of a reggae duo back in the early 2010s called the Hope Street Steppers. They released one of my favorite instrumental reggae albums ever. It's called Black Lightning. Check them both out. Support my buddy. He's a very good nurse, very good father, and a very great friend. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the show. We have a lot of fun doing it, even though uh, we sound like two tired men. Um, I have no excuse. I was just up to 2 a.m. watching Decision to Leave and organizing comics. Um, Matthew has a good excuse. He works hard, and he has a child. Uh, Tune in next time while we make some revelations about our tastes and realize that within the two-ish years we've done this podcast, I've uh, become a real man in how I like movies interesting <laughs> you've become <laughs> a real <laughs> pinocchio has become a real man about his that's movies a, that's a little tease about how much i've matured and the, the time we've done this podcast well i i mean i believe that i know i know i've matured as well so all right talk so. to you guys right, like we talked to the audience well you'll hear us again soon <laughs> yes peace